The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 5. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. Last week's episode ended in the middle of a speech, something that may have to happen on occasion as we journey through a play like this. It has several texts and soliloquies that go considerably beyond the 20 lines per week or so that I've promised to cover. It's not the end of the world, but I wanted to acknowledge it. And indeed, on occasion, I fear I might even break a line of verse while trying to unpack the big thoughts and passages of the play, for which I likewise crave your indulgence. The writing and the thought and the care and the achievement of this play are just so dense and intricate that cracking them open here and there will hopefully serve only to shed a little light on them. We stopped in the middle of Horatio's recap of the dead King Hamlet's war with Norway. The Danish king killed the Norwegian king Fortinbras in single combat and in so doing won a portion of Fortinbras' lands for himself, according to the bet. Horatio continues that King Hamlet had made an equivalent bet. Against the which a moiety competent was gauged by our king, which had returned to the inheritance of Fortinbras had he been vanquisher, as by the same covenant and carriage of the article design, his fell to Hamlet. So, basically, had Hamlet, King Hamlet that is, lost, an equivalent area of land would have been forfeited to the Norwegian king. But King Hamlet won, and so the lands in play here went to the Danish control. Covenant is not the word that appears in the second quarto here. Officially it reads co-mart, a word that appears nowhere else in Shakespeare. Other suggestions include covenant, or various abbreviations of it, or, apparently according to the sixth quarto, it might be simplest to repeat compact from earlier in the speech. Shakespeare is very careful here with Horatio's description. All the way through the speech we hear descriptions and suggestions of medieval courtly life. Pride, combat, law, heraldry, vanquisher, perhaps covenant, and so on. They sound, even to a contemporary ear at the globe, like images of a lost world, one that is long past. James Shapiro describes this at length in his really amazing book, 1599, A Year in the Life of Shakespeare. He discusses how ways of fighting had changed in the latter half of the 16th century, and how Shakespeare reflects this in the play. Apparently, Shakespeare had reference to a book published in 1599 called Paradoxes of Defence by George Silver, which discussed these changes at length. Old Hamlet's triumph happened in a world of chivalry and armour, a world that is dead, like him. Bringing us back to the present, then, he throws in a reference to inheritance, and then introduces the next character on our chessboard. Young Fortinbras, as I mentioned last time, is something like a foil to our hero, even down to the fact that he shares his name with his dead king. It's worth noting here that we still have heard no mention of there being a living Hamlet in Denmark. The only reference to the name thus far in the play has been to the deceased king, who is rather alarmingly walking the ramparts of the palace in his armour. Horatio explains what's going on with the young Norwegian. His previous sentence ended with the word Hamlet, and it's easy to imagine that Marcellus might be nervous at the mention of this name, perhaps even getting skittish or looking around to ensure that this thing, the ghost, doesn't appear again. Horatio addresses him as Sir within the line to get his listener back on track. Shakespeare's very good at keeping our attention. 
Now, sir, young Fortinbras, of unimproved metal, hot and full, hath in the skirts of Norway here and there sharked up a list of lawless resolutes for food and diet to some enterprise that hath a stomach in it. Young Fortinbras, so called to differentiate him from his deceased namesake, has managed to gather an army from the outskirts of Norway. The first quarto calls him inapproved rather than unimproved, but both certainly give a sense of a man who has yet to prove himself. And then the reverberations of sound within the words metal and hot make him sound as if even his armour isn't quite tempered yet. It's genius stuff. The folio suggests landless instead of lawless for his band of resolutes, which might actually make more sense, since Fortinbras is presumably on a campaign to get back the land that his family lost. His resolute followers might be joining him because of a shared feeling of disenfranchisement. Certainly, they will not appear particularly lawless when we see them later in the play. There's a lovely dance of ideas through this description too. Sharked up sounds like a very hungry manner of recruiting, followed by the food and diet, which is all that Fortinbras is probably going to pay them. But they are resolute in this campaign that hath a stomach in it. So we get through the various passages of eating and digestion here. Within it, there's the dark hint that the men who enlist are themselves the food for the enterprise and will be devoured by it. The metaphor doesn't go any further in the text, but it's the kind of flourish that shows just how good Shakespeare can be. Horatio continues, explaining Fortinbras's campaign. Which is no other, as it doth well appear unto our state, but to recover of us by strong hand and terms compulsatory those foresaid lands so by his father lost. The young Norwegian is determined to recover the land his father lost, and Denmark knows it. Shakespeare can't resist a little wordplay even here, explaining that he plans to do it not just in terms compulsatory, a word that appears nowhere else in Shakespeare, by the way, but by strong hand, which is, of course, what Fortinbras means. The inference is that Denmark is already aware that the young upstart is on the move and preparing in earnest for this campaign. So Horatio concludes, And this, I take it, is the main motive of our preparations, the source of this our watch, and the chief head of this post-haste and rummage in the land. Lest we forget, all of this speech from Horatio has been in answer to Marcellus' question wondering why the country seems to be preparing for war. Horatio's answer, by way of a little history lesson, is that Fortinbras is on the move, preparing to reclaim those lost lands. The word post-haste was fairly new at the time of the play, and Shakespeare had already used it only once in Richard II, and the combination with rummage implies urgency and even turmoil in Denmark's preparations. There's an alternative spelling for rummage that is spelled R-O-M-A-G-E, which might be a little hint of the next speech that Horatio is going to make. But for now, his explanation is complete, and Bernardo agrees. I think it be no other but e'en so. Well may it sort that this portentous figure comes armed through our watch, so like the king that was and is the question of these wars. Bernardo echoes Marcellus' description of the ghost's martial stalk that he comes armed through their watch. Makes total sense to him, that if Norway is gearing up to win back Hamlet's lands, 
his ghost might appear to want to fight it. I love that there's a little confusion over tense here. Obviously, the king was at the centre of the war in the past that won the lands for Denmark, and by extension is therefore still connected now that young Fortinbras is renewing the conflict. But there's also a fun confusion for the actor to play here, given that it's unclear whether one should refer to the king in the past or the present tense. One final little nugget for you is the use of the word portentous, which appeared also in Julius Caesar, written shortly before Hamlet in 1599. This little echo, along with the word rummage, perhaps, seems to prefigure a more extended dialogue with ancient Rome, which we will discuss at length in the next episode. Thank you very much for listening, and as ever, you can find show notes and links to previous episodes on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. Please do subscribe and download the show from wherever you like to get your podcasts, and we'd love to hear back from you on Twitter or on Facebook. I'll be back with the next instalment next Sunday, and I hope you'll join me then.